I'm with uh, Jen Birch, a family just here in the Raleigh area. How are you doing today? Good. How about you? Kind of children and processing emotion, especially during this time of, um, you know, the past year that we had in 2020. And then 2021, as we've started, will probably be a very different year as well. Um, so just, you know, I know you work with, like you said before, you work with kids of all ages, which is amazing. I don't think I realized you worked with such a wide range of ages with children. And just, you know, in this time, I see a lot of like mixed emotions. It is really appropriate in this season for kids and adolescents and teens to have a mixed bag of emotions when it comes to this season of life Mm -hmm. and for them to have a safe place to express those is necessary to move on to the next developmental stage. And we have a lot of emotions about the past year. And so the, the biggest piece for me is um, reminding the parents uh, that it's going to be necessary for them to also be in a place where they can self-regulate, I mean, co-regulate with their kids and help them. So do, what, when you talk about like the stages, what would be like this, the stages of like childhood? Like you work with what ages? So I work with ages two to 18. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I didn't realize you did everything. Yeah. And I, um, and I kind of go 18. through Matt, you know, Eric Erickson's, um, mm. you know, just he, he kind of did some basic developmental stages that right. I feel like are really, they're pretty broad, but they're helpful in terms of what, the child is working on is at each stepping stone. Mm-hmm. I think for each developmental stage, we can kind of take a look and see how COVID has impacted that stage. For example, an 18 year old that graduated high school in 2020 and was headed off to freshman year of college and got derailed because virtual school at college was so hard. And they were isolated in their dorm Mm. and all of the freshman activities were canceled. Um, They came back home, right? Their freshman year does not look like they had anticipated it looking. And so some of these pieces where things are changing can, can really cause us to feel stuck, in whatever stage we were moving through. And so part of therapy, I think part of the help of therapy and part of the help of parents in the season is to just help us continue to move along the developmental stages and not get stuck. Um, and, and getting stuck looks like anxiety, depression, um, more suicidal ideation than I've ever seen, um, more self-harm, cutting and eating disorders. And so... All of this is basically just us, you know, the child or the teen saying, I don't know how to cope with this season emotionally. And so I I need to find a way. Sometimes they find a healthy way and sometimes they don't. Yeah. And it seems like you can't give what you don't have. 
mm-hmm. I think that's what worries me. It's like, man, um, I don't have my own like healthy management. How can I pass it to somebody? You know, how can I pass it to my kids when I have to work on this stuff? And I think I'm like growing and learning and have been for a long time. But I think that's maybe some of the anxiety for parents. And yes. Because basically you do family therapy. Like you're working yes. with parents all the time as well. That's right. That's right. And I would say a couple things about that. So we've continued the circle of security classes, which I feel like is so helpful. And the more we can get the word out, the better, because I feel like it's really good foundational skills on how to be the hands for your kids. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, we just wrapped one up at the church and now I started another one with safe child. I think the information is so great. You know, the reminder to all parents that we're really hoping for 30% for secure attachment, right? Like we, we're not, we're not shooting for 99%. We really, the secure attachment is going to come with 30%. So a lot of grace to the parents, a lot of knowing that reminding them that blame or guilt or shame doesn't get us anywhere. Um, you know. So the the circle I've taken the class, the circle of security. security uh-huh. Can you give a little summary of that? Because I, I know I we did the class. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so there's historically there's a ton of research on you know secure attachment with uh the primary caregiver and children. And the, I love the class because it just kind of takes all that information and makes it um, very, very user-friendly to really say that throughout our lives, our kids continue on this circle of going out into the world, exploring the world, and then coming back with the hopes of having a secure base to come back to, um, which is us, which is the primary caregiver. And so really it helps the caregiver see the circle um, in their daily life, in their kids' daily life, and also see the things that we do without realizing it that can negatively influence that circle. And that's what we call shark music. So the things that really get us riled up and get us going, which is different for everybody, right? For me, it's screaming. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And so I have four. So when four are screaming at one time, like I, you know, it takes me a minute. So realizing what your shark music is will help you know kind of how am I influencing the circle Am I able to be the hands? And then, and then they talk about the hands under the hands, which is really the community under your hands, because there's none of us can do this in isolation. And I think that was the biggest struggle, especially at the beginning of the pandemic was everyone was isolated. How do you have a support system when you can't see anyone? Yeah. So I think there's so many pieces of this that um, were just, you know, affected I, I I still kind of feel pretty strongly that the school piece for some kids mm-hmm. was an additional trauma mm-hmm. um of not being able to go to school because it's such a safe base and secure place for so many people so 
I think that we're going to see these repercussions, I mean, decades at this point. Wow. There's also a point that, you know, the shark music was very helpful. And I haven't thought about that in a little bit. And I was like, "Mm, that's a good reminder. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then you also talk about this idea, like, with um, the parents taking a time out. Mm -hmm. Good good remembering. Yeah. So so we talk about the kids having a time in, which is with the parents, helping the parents co-regulate their emotions. And then a time out is not for the children or um, toddlers, but it's for the adults to take a minute because we can't help them if we're off our, you know, if we, if we are really emotional mm-hmm. and angry, then we can't help them calm down. Right. Um, my, I mean, my, the common analogy, right, is that we're screaming, stop yelling to our kids when we're yelling, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. It just doesn't work. I think I did that a few minutes ago. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) As we all do, right? Because like we grab the closest tool that is most of the time unconscious and innate and something from our upbringing. Hmm. Um, And we do it until we know a different way. How long do you think it takes people, you know, like to form a new habit? Like there's stuff out there, like you can start a new habit and do the same thing for 31 days or whatever. Like, how do you change like a parenting habit? Like, I think maybe people would be listening to be like, okay, being a more patient, understanding, listening parent, that would be great. But like, I don't have time for that or how long that's going to (laughs) take. That's right. Um, The original circle of security curriculum Mm-hmm. with the founders, I mean, was months and years of intense work. And so I think to be surrounded by a group that supports and is in it with you helps with those reminders. Sure. Um, our classes are only eight to 10 weeks. And so, um, you know, at that point you're done, right? You kind of move on with the assumption that you have these skills. I think it's nice to do it with a group. I love the group model because then you can feed off each other and have those reminders with each other of, Oh, right. That's what was hard about this last week. Let's, let's talk about it and circle back mm-hmm. um, to help create these habits. The other thing that I think one, I mean, one of the pieces that's been really nice about COVID is it has shifted most of these groups from in-person to virtual, which has allowed a lot of couples um to do the class together. And I think to have that common language is so important. Um, that really has made a difference for a lot of people. So you can circle, remind each other. The circle security classes, are you doing them um, in person and virtual or all virtual? It's still virtual. Okay. Yeah. We haven't moved in person, back to in person yet. Like really like this is the most important thing to know <laughs> about the circle of security. I think the most important thing to know about circle of security and about this season Mm -hmm. um, of the pandemic is um, just if you could, if if you had one goal, it would be just to try to be the hands, the safe space for your kids to come back to with all of their emotions. Um, Because I mean, at this point we're seeing so many regressive behavior acting out behavior. It's all coming out behavior, right? Which is natural. But I think it's that reminder of 
having the space to kind of process these feelings mm-hmm. um, at this point, I think that is going to be number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being the hands. That's, yep. that's going to be that place where kids can come. Um, they can, you know, be angry, be mad. I think about, um, we watch a lot of Daniel Tiger. And, um, you know, just, I love when the parents like get mad in Daniel Tiger and they'll do the same exercises that they teach the kids. Mm -hmm. I think that's just so like this really amazing piece of that show. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I do like this little, um, Bible study at a retirement center and like everybody is like 85, 90, 90, you know, like. Um, and I was talking to one of them and it's all virtual, which is difficult for a 80 something year old or, or anybody. And, um, I'll be like, you know, I just love Mr. Rogers and like, it's so much my childhood. And she's like, well, why don't you make that? (laughs) I was like, you know, yeah, you're right. I should, you know, like just the, I think we do like, I, one of the things that I'm curious, maybe this feel like our last question is like, I have like big dreams and I don't, I have pursued some of those big dreams, mm-hmm. but I haven't, you know, there's sometimes that I'm like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. Like, mm-hmm. how do you keep your kids? Like, how do you not your kids, but how do we keep, you know, teenagers? And I think when you get older into like, when life gets more serious, school gets more serious, to like keep dreaming mm-hmm. and keep like being like that kid. Cause I feel like so much of like, therapy is like okay what is your what is little Andy telling big yeah. Andy you know yeah yeah how do they still hold on to that piece right and stay connected to who they are and not lose that mm-hmm. it sounds like um I know it's yeah a big, that's a really good question. question and my 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 immediate answer would be it probably depends on your Enneagram number, how you perceive that. <laughs> okay, right? sure, like person. But I just remember, like, one of the reasons they said Mr. Rogers was so powerful was because he was so tapped into his childhood. Yeah. And that's yeah. what allowed him to be so good with kids. And it, I'm sure if you asked him, he'd be like, it's not, like, it's not hard. But yeah. I'm like, but it is hard. But for whatever reason, for him, it was not hard. Right. He always kept that. He was able to say that, say that path yeah that's a great question and emotions can change quickly and I think especially when I when I see um children like at you know when when I'm working is um it's really difficult because I want to like control what people are feeling and I find that I probably do that in myself too so what is kind of maybe some wisdom or some advice or from your experience of of working with with kids, but specifically like as adults, how we can um, like be good examples and how we can prepare for what our kids might have emotionally um, as they're, um, yeah, as we're in this year all together. Yeah. So I think for each of us, we, I mean, we all bring our upbringing to the table when we're raising children. Mm -hmm. And for each of us, we have different feelings that we are more or less comfortable with. And that mm-hmm. often depends on how we were raised. And so when you think about the six key kind of core emotions that we are all dealing with, that we're all experiencing, 
anger, sadness, joy, fear, curiosity, and shame. At the very beginning, we really sit with parents and ask them, which of these emotions do you feel comfortable with? And which emotions make you very uncomfortable when you're receiving these emotions from your children? Different for everyone. And so Mm -hmm. for some people, they can say, yeah, I'm okay if my child gets angry, but I really become uncomfortable with the curiosity piece. And I want to control Mm -hmm. that. Or, you know, I'm really okay if they're happy and joyful but the sadness, the tears makes me really uncomfortable. And so often as parents, we find ourselves changing our behavior when we have that uncomfortability, when these emotions rise in us. And in circle of security language, we call it shark music, that it's this, um, we're safe, but we don't feel safe. And that can happen kind of in a split second. It's so unconscious, right? And so when, you know, a chat, your child starts tantruming for some people that is completely fine. And for others, man, their shark music comes, they feel this intense level of uncomfortability within themselves, and then they react to it. And so our first thought through all of this is, gosh, we need to know what makes us uncomfortable so that we can parent um, in a healthy way and help them regulate their emotions. Because if we can't regulate our emotions, we definitely can't help them regulate their emotions. So in order to co-regulate with kids, we need to be aware of what makes us uncomfortable. Um, So, you know, if you are parenting with a spouse or with somebody else, even between the two of you, that's gonna feel different as to what, what you're okay with versus what the other person's okay with. And so examples are like a crying baby, right? That's safe, but it can make us really uncomfortable. Or, you know, your child tantruming on the floor in the middle of targets. Um, Tears, uncertainty, grief, curiosity, all of these, this kind of mixed bag of feelings. And at least in our house, we... (laughs) you know, go through all of the emotions within an hour, especially in the pandemic, because there's so many things happening. I think that, you know, we were talking a little bit about grief, and I think that there's so many pieces to the pandemic that have created an environment of grieving for parents and children. Um, And um, I don't see that ending anytime soon. I think we're going to be processing the grief of this for a long time. The grief of missing friends and the change that has come, a different routine, um, the, the loss of a loved one. Um, you know, when we talk about their physical health, but then also their mental health, there's so many pieces to this. So, you know, when we say, okay, if we can sit with our child and be their hands, which means help them organize their feelings, sit with them, help them organize their feelings. We really have to be in a place of knowing what our own feelings are in that moment so that we can co-regulate, which is a lot of steps, 
right? And so one of the pieces that is really important is for all caregivers is to have their own support system of folks that they can turn to to share their feelings. And that's called the hands under the hands so that we're supporting one another in this journey. And for some people, that's a church community. Mm-hmm. For some, it's their neighborhood or their extended family. Um, but having that community of folks that are helping raise up children is really healthy. Yeah. So those those six core emotions, could you say those again? Yeah. So joy, shame, fear, anger, curiosity, sadness. Okay. So sadness would look like, um, you know, if anybody has ever told you not to cry, mm-hmm. you're fine. Don't cry. That's, that's an example of being uncomfortable with sadness. Um, you know, some people that have, you know, had, you know, a life experience where they're really uncomfortable with joy. It's hard to see a child be joyful, you know, and happy. And so none of, none of this is, you know, wrong or bad. We all just bring to the table different experience from our upbringing, which is going to impact which feelings we're, we're more comfortable with. Yeah. So we, so we often ask parents to do this exercise of really sitting down and thinking which feelings can you fully be with, be with means which ones can you sit in with your child and help organize that emotion or which, which feelings makes it really difficult as a parent to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is interesting. Like thinking about for me, when I think about the past year and kids missing out, I think of high school seniors slash freshmen in college, like Mm -hmm. that transition Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. a very joyful, fun transition for me. Like I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed my senior year of high school. I really enjoyed my freshman year and that whole summer. So that, like, I think about those um, kids and Mm -hmm. then I guess the opposite, not the opposite, but another group is like graduating college students and trying to find a job, which is like a really another like big transition, which I'm sure a bunch of them just went to grad school or, you know, found another um, maybe found another semester or something. I could just see myself in that situation, like hanging around college just because it's like, how do you get a job only through Zoom? Right. And and. So those are the ones I'm thinking about older kids for whatever reason. Um, but I'm curious what that right. would look like for maybe younger kids too. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think the natural milestones for any age have mm, been disrupted. Right. And yep. so for a lot of kids, this is really their first experience with grief, with grieving the loss of something. Um, a friend of mm. mine is an admissions counselor at a local college. And she said, um, I mean, I think applications were up for this coming fall for fall 2021, up 25%. You know, the college got Mm -hmm. 60,000 extra applications than they normally are used to. And so you think about that group of folks that are trying to apply to college in the middle of a pandemic and how this has changed their experience 
and are making decisions. I think we're all making different decisions than we would have otherwise, but definitely it's going to be a different experience for them trying to get into college because there are so many uh, more applications this year. I think for, for little ones, um, you know, even fifth grade graduation or your first day at kindergarten, you know, I mean, the social media joke is that some of these kids have had like four first days in kindergarten this year. And, you know, I, I think that while kids are flexible and kids are resilient, I think some of the pieces this year were kind of asking kids to learn to swim, you know, in the deep end when they're already drowning. And so, yes, there's resiliency, but also let's really be mindful of the muscles and whether we're asking those muscles to be stretched or whether we're really expecting more from them than is possible, which, you know, becomes a strain on the muscle and on the whole muscular system. So that's kind of been my piece of really just being mindful of how much are we asking of kids, what we're often seeing at this point is a change in behavior because behavior is so indicative of what's going on underneath. And really we want to say, Hey, what are you feeling about the pandemic? And I don't know about you, but I'm not even sure I know how I feel on any given day about the pandemic, much less how, you know, a four-year-old is going to feel. And so without that ability to really articulate emotions, we see a lot of behavior. And so it's really common right now to see regression, um, you know, thumb sucking when your, you know, child never did that before, or, mm. you know, in your incapricious, lots of um, trying to figure out how to cope with a different set of coping strategies when the pre-pandemic coping strategies just aren't working right now. And I think that's true for adults as well. You know, everybody's trying to figure out a new way of doing things in a healthy way. And uh, it's hard. It's hard to figure that out. And I think just parenting in general, like you're always, or I assume it's not just me, but you're always thinking like, am I doing this well enough? Am I doing this good enough? Like, I know that there's a comedian who says like, you know, guilt, like you have a lot of religious guilt from being Catholic, but it's got nothing on parent guilt. Like oh my parent, gosh. parent guilt is way beyond Catholic guilt. That's um, right. <laughs> so when you're in those feelings, like what are tools to, for, what are tools for parents? Yes. Yeah, so they're working with, with, with their kids that are, yeah, like behaving differently, or maybe you're just confused, you know? Right. Um, right. And even me saying kind of blame is a dead end street. It doesn't get you very far. It's mm-hmm. hard for us not to do that for ourselves. So good enough parenting is 30%. We are striving for 30% connection with our children and that's going to be secure attachment. And so, you know, I think often we start feeling the guilt and the shame, you know, when we hit 95% instead of a hundred of all, this is going horribly. And really, especially in this season, I think the question has come up, even for me, when I see these behaviors, is this a personality piece? Is this a horrible parenting piece? Is this a 
can we blame it on the pandemic? Is it a pandemic piece? Because it's hard to know the root cause of a given behavior and where they are in life and what they're needing. So I would say for parents, you know, one piece of advice would be be really gracious with yourself and provide, you know, offer yourself a lot of grace because you're doing a good job. Every parent wants to be a good parent. Every parent wants to do the best they can. We, none of us go into this wanting to be a bad parent. I think along the way we, you know, we get stressed and our toolbox becomes really limited. And so we start pulling out the one tool that we're most accustomed to. Um, you know, so if we grew up in a household that yells, that might be kind of our go-to tool is to yell. Um, so I think part of it is, okay, how do we, how do we try to have a little bit of brain space in this season just to add a couple more tools to the toolbox um, and, and providing lots of grace to one another? Yeah, that's really, that's really helpful. Thank you. And also, I know that you've talked about the um, Enneagram. So maybe can kind of close a little bit with what your um, perspective is on the Enneagram and um, just the positive things that we can take from that. Um, and I think my question specifically is like, when do kids, when can you start labeling your kids? I know you're not supposed to label people with Enneagram, but that's right. No that's fun. right. And I'm definitely not an Enneagram expert. Um, and I <laughs> but don't, you've used that tool before though. I, I, I love it. Yeah. I love learning about my kids Enneagram number because I feel like it helps me be a better parent and connect with them on a different level. For example, my oldest, she's 12 and she has so many of the characteristics of an Enneagram nine. Uh, and, and so um, I, it's a helpful reminder to me that uh, there are certain things that are not going to work with her. And so pressuring her to get things done on my timeline <laughs> is not the most helpful for a nine. So I have to really remember that when I'm trying to have her clean her room. But I think that, you know, back to the Enneagram numbers, I think each number brings such a gift to parenting, whereas some are just really naturally skilled at being hands and sitting with kids, organize their feelings, being present. And some are really good at the top of the circle, which means they're really good at um, encouraging kids to go out into the world and explore mm -hmm. the world and delight in the world. And that's really their, that's where their skill set is. I, um, I, I think the work for me, particularly I'm an Enneagram too, has been, uh, knowing when to help and when not to help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's sometimes just getting out of my own way, uh, that they really don't need my help in that moment. And I'm kind of over-functioning for them. So that's something I'm having to learn in this um, season. We had, it, this was a couple months back where all the kids, we were having a kind of a big change in the middle of the school year. We moved everybody from a different school. And, and so uh, I quickly realized that the tools that I was trying to use for all of them 
was not going to be successful, that I had to kind of cater it to each individual kid and what they needed. So for example, I think one of mine is, um, lives a lot in his head. Um, he's a head type. And so we really had to get kind of go at the decision in a very logical way in talking through that if I were to sit with him and ask him about his emotions or his feelings about the decision that I wasn't going to get very far, but kind of talking through the steps of how we chose that was, was much more beneficial to this particular kid. He's 10 than you know, sitting in the feelings space. So I think that there's a couple great um, books about Enneagram and parenting. And I think even starting that early language of trying to figure out where your child is on the Enneagram um, could be helpful in terms of how do you cater that parenting. Yeah, I'll make sure to put, um, I'll get those resources and put those in the show notes and post those books. I think we have um, one or two of them too, so I might have some of them. But yeah, I just think that's a, that is an important, um, important tool. Um, And I would say just while I've got you, maybe the last um, question that we talked a little bit is just this idea of grief. Like my podcast deals a lot with um, grief and pain and loss and I think a lot of times we think of grief just in terms of death, but really grief is any change. And so when you're, you know, what are, what are, I guess, some tools that, that you use, then maybe some of us can copy some of those when dealing with, with, um, with a child that's maybe going through some grief and and sadness and, and how to be with them. And it's especially, especially, I guess, for those that are uncomfortable. Um, with that emotion. Mm -hmm. There's, there's so many really good books now. I think we used to be limited in our resources for kids on grief, but you're right. I mean, I think all of the loss from this year is, is grief for a child, the changes, the differences, um, all unexpected from this year. And Julia Cook has a great kids book called grief is a snowflake, really meaning they're, there is no one way to grieve and every child's grief is going to look different and cater to their own experience. I think for kids really with any strong emotion, just watching for their kind of ability to, you know, I I call it going down and coming back up, but really able to go down and sit in that emotion and then they come back up because sitting in it too long can feel really uncomfortable. And so kind of riding that wave with them that we go down and we have that missing feeling or sadness feeling uh, or sorrow feeling, and then um, allowing the child to lead, you know, how long they're willing to sit in that emotion and then come back up. So, so often you'll see something like, uh, I feel really sad, X, Y, and Z, uh, sit in it for a couple seconds, and then they'll immediately kind of change the subject to, and let's go play Barbies, right? They, they were able to guide and lead how long they were able to sit in that emotion. Um, and I think that you bring up a really good point that it's uncomfortable for us too, that when we're uncomfortable, we try to either control or suppress or negate or really make it go away 
And so identifying what is causing us grief and sadness in this season and it being okay, any, any of it's okay, but allowing yourself to, to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I like, you know, we're going on a bear hunt and that story of like, you can't go through, you got to go through it, not Mm -hmm. over it, not under it, you know, whatever, how it goes. And like, that's how I think of grief. It's like, you have to go through it. And I guess that's all emotions. Like you have to go through it. And that's always been a helpful little reminder for me. So you have to go through it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do think on a positive piece, the emotional muscles that are being built from this past year are going to be really incredible. Hmm. And so kind of really a new generation potentially of kids that are very, very aware of their emotional muscles because mm. they've had to flex them, you know, more so potentially than any other generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to sound a little bit, um, I mean, sometimes corny, but I okay. really, I, I think I always, even with our relationship with God, I go back to the circle work because I feel like we, with all of our relationships, including with Christ, we mm-hmm. kind of go out into the world and then we come back to the hands. Yeah. And so I really feel like I see that in my relationship with everyone, but then also with Christ of going out into the world and then coming back to the hands. I think that where we get stuck is with any of us that get stuck on the circle and we miscue <laughs> and we either stay in the hands too long or we stay out in the world too long. And I think my mm. struggle is staying out in the world too long and not coming back to the hands of God. Mm. And so wow. even in times of struggle, uh, you know, the, the conversation has kind of always been lean into it. Um, that's where the growth happens in your, in any relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think our common human nature in so many ways is to avoid that. And so what ends up happening is we miss cue and then just kind of stay out in the world longer. Um, I think that what I, I've noticed what I end up doing is um, I think I probably stay out in the world until things go wrong in my opinion, or things aren't mm-hmm. going well. And then that's when I'm like, Oh, I really need help. Mm-hmm. Let me go back to the hands. Um, oh. Then God is kind of like, well, you know, the hands are always here and you kind of rarely come back only when you're struggling. Yeah. What are some examples of that for you? Um, like when you're staying out outside the hands of God too long. Yeah. So I think that my um, tendency is just to rely on myself Mm. and I do that for a long time until things fall apart. And, Mm. um, you know, I think, I think it was last year that things were, um, were really difficult in my marriage and it Mm. wasn't until, things get to kind of a breaking point, do I then kind of go back on the bottom of the circle, back to the hands 
and kind of a necessary moment of, oh, right. I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do actually need that help. And I don't know if that is um, when I get to kind of, I'm an Enneagram two. So I don't know if it's when I get to an un- unhealthy Enneagram two piece of just refusing other people's help, including God's. Right. Um, and it takes that level of need to go back at the bottom of the circle and come back to the hands. So that's yeah. And I don't think that's, yeah, I mean, I actually love that because we say all the time, like, I, I definitely grew up with the language, like, how's your personal relationship with God? And so it makes sense that you have these moments where you're like running away and then you have like the story of the prodigal son, right? Is, is that whole piece. And I don't, I actually feel like you're probably right. We think it's corny or cheesy to be like, well, I just need to come back home more. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's right. Like mm-hmm. we, for a lot of us, that's, mm-hmm. that is, that's why it resonates so much. Mm-hmm. We try to do everything on our own. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that answer. And mm-hmm. I love how it ties into the work that you do, obviously, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're all somewhere on that circle, somewhere in the cadence of, one second, somewhere in the cadence of, um, somewhere in that cadence and rhythm of going out and coming back. I think we're yeah. always on the circle somewhere um, in our relationship with Christ is, mm-hmm. is really no different. Yeah. 